podcast this week, we say, talk to me. And then no actor or writer responds. <laughs> but we support them. We support them. We, we, we stand do. with them. Stick to the man, etc., etc. Anyway, we say talk to me to the Talk To Me director, Danny Philippou, plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that went full Barbenheimer this week and has barely recovered, <laughs> to be honest. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. I'm back in the chair after a couple of weeks away. Please accept my apologies for the shocking and marked increase in quality uh, that happened over the last couple of weeks <laughs> when Helen was hosting. Uh, that won't happen again. It's like it's like um, I'm like Superman turning up at the end of Superman 2 and saying, good afternoon, Mr. President. <laughs> I let you down. It won't happen again. It's... It's basically that. Not on my watch. <laughs> this podcast will not become listenable. <laughs> not on my watch. Uh, anyway, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. I feel very much like the Ken in this situation. My Kennergy levels are high. Um, but Sophie Butcher is here. Hi, Ken. Hi, 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 Sophie. Hi. I'm still hi. doing it. We did it last week. But I know we did. Hi, Oppie. <laughs> hi, Barbara Heimer. <laughs> hi, Einstein. <laughs> Hi, yeah. <laughs> what does that name be? Einie? 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 Isn't Einie what uh, Doc Brown calls his dog whenever he, he's got a dog called Einstein? I'm pretty sure he, he said, no, but he, he calls him Einie. I'm pretty oh, sure okay. he, the nickname is Einie. Oh, Einie Winey. Copernicus is another Doc Brown name. Doc, uh, not his name, but his dog name. Mm. He has mm. a dog called Copernicus and another one called Einstein. Anyway, Helen O'Hara, <laughs> uh, our geek queen, is here. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. hello. How are you both? Very, very well. Good, I'm good, still, good. I'm still kind of surfing the Barbie high, to be honest. Good. You really am. Surfing the pink wave. <laughs> yes. No, that sounds, that sounds biological in a bad way. Let's not go there. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, patriarchy. Uh, should, we, should we talk about it? The patriarchy has been restored, by the way. Phew. Thank God. For a second there, I thought this had been overtaken by females. Not females. No, God. Ah, God. High Ben Shapiro levels of energy here going oh on. My but, uh, I love that he's dickhead. done. I love that he's Sorry. done. Well, you know the way, okay, so ben, ben Shapiro, for anybody who who doesn't know, and God bless you if you don't, mm. he's, a, he's one of these US obnoxious right-wing commentators. And he has in total done, I believe, an hour and 45 minutes uh, on Barbie. Uh, for his, I guess, YouTube channel or some mm. some kind yeah, of video channel. Yeah, no, he's, he's got a lot so of So he's basically kind of done what we do for, you know, Avengers movies for Barbie, Except, but from a but, place but of fueled, hate. It's, yeah. like, um, it's like you on a Chris Nolan film. Hey, <laughs> I don't hate Chris Nolan films. I just have some well-founded reservations. I, I respect his right to exist. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> if I go down a rabbit hole every now and again, that's totally fine. Uh, yes, yes. Let's not give too much time and no. attention no, to, absolutely not. to Ben Shapiro. More than enough. Uh, I saw a thumbnail. I didn't pay any attention to it. I didn't actually click on it, but it said he destroys Barbie for 43 minutes. And I don't want to give away spoilers for Barbie, but I can see that he probably saw himself in that film a lot more than he might have anticipated and reacted accordingly. So mm -hmm. that's that's my guess on that one. The cancel hive is mobilizing. The cancellation, cancel, cancel culture. Don't don't throw Ken in yeah, with those guys. That's not tarnish Ken he, with that he, brush. He means he well. learned. <laughs> okay, which one? Anyway, uh, I Barbenheimered. You did, I did, yeah. Mm. And you finished at what time in the morning? 
physically, I finished at <laughs> I finished at two thirty in the morning <laughs> on Tuesday. Mentally, I finished at somewhere around one a.m. Mm. Uh, it was a very very interesting experience. I triple build. on was it Tuesday night? I want to say Tuesday Monday. night. Was it Monday? No, Monday. Because today's Wednesday. No, it was Tuesday night because I interviewed the director of the film that I can't say mm. yesterday. And I was still on the Barbenheimer. Mm. I, was, I was still in the stupor, quite frankly. So I saw this secret film that you will never be able to work out uh, what it is. Uh, I saw a secret film uh, at uh, 6.45, something like that. And then when that was over, I hightailed it out of the screening, raced back to Greenwich, had booked a ticket to see Barbie at uh, the local Odeon. And then whenever that was over, got in just as it was starting. So I missed like the first 45 seconds or so. Okay. Uh, so this may mean I'm not qualified to do the spoiler special. I'm going to disqualify myself. It's really significant. Uh, it is hugely significant. And then I went straight. In, well, not straight because it was a half hour pause. I went into Oppenheimer, which started at the IMAX because I wanted to see it in IMAX. Mm, yeah. Although it was a LIMAX. Um, I saw it in glorious IMAX. Uh, three hours, finished at 2.30, had to get an Uber home, stopped off for a kebab because I hadn't <laughs> eaten in 12 hours and the kebab shop was open, like just like, you know, this glorious... Glowing. Yeah, yeah like an oasis. Yeah, yeah, on the horizon. Very much like the, like the Trinity sequence from... from, from oh boy. From oh God. My, my face just <laughs> lit up. <laughs> too, too soon. And um, yeah, so I, I went in, had a kebab and then didn't get to bed until 3.30. Then got up at like 7 because I, I had to edit stuff. Anyway, I, it's good. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling good about my choices. <laughs> Your life is a, a miracle. <laughs> I mean, how, I'm still how you're not dead is genuinely, it's, a, it's astonishing. I Scientists this a will one day study you. I've weekended Bernie to myself. You have. <laughs> I actually died some years You've ago. You've been puppeting your own dead body <laughs> yeah. for at least the last 10 a years. A complicated series of pulleys and levers have been keeping me alive for some time. Um, I have to say, it was wonderful seeing um, the atmosphere around cinemas this weekend. and It was. I saw no less than three groups of girls dressed entirely in pink walk past my oh. kitchen window and I thought, I know where you're going. Mission Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I filled me with joy to see it. I, I, I am almost like suspicious now of anyone I see wearing pink it's like, or a fedora. I just, I just, <laughs> I know where they're going. Oh, well, it's interesting because I didn't see too many people cosplaying for Oppenheimer, but I feel that Oppenheimer is cosplay of the soul in that you come out of that movie as Oppenheimer, you just come out a wreck <laughs> of a person. Uh, with, you know, like Killian Murphy just staring into the middle distance. Mm. That's basically, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to denigrate his performance. He's astounding and he will be Oscar nominated, uh, I'm guessing. Uh, who, who knows? Maybe he'll even win. Finally, justice for Jackson Ripner. Uh, but <laughs> the performance that the Oscars overlooked in 2005. Uh, Red Eye, really good film. Anyway, I mean, you, it's a good film. That's, that's the one, that's an amazing that's the one you're that's picking out, out of his back catalog. No, listen, I will say, I will say that I, I really admired Oppenheimer. I think that I probably wasn't in the best mental state to take it in at, at 11.30 at in the morning. At, at night, at night, yeah. yeah. Mm. But uh, I will say that I, I think it's terrific. I think five stars is correct. I think we should also have five starred Barbie. I agree. Uh, I think Barbie is mm. absolutely tremendous. Sophie is. Uh, hey, Sophie. Hey, Sophie. The, I'm at enough, four. Of, enough with the Kennergy. I would go for that's, that's, that's not Kenoff. Do you want to be a victim of cancel culture or not? <laughs> hey. You, you got to stow it. I'm a Barbie. You should be supporting me. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I still think that the best Killian Murphy movie revolving around a nuclear. Uh, device is Sunshine. Great movie. And I still think the best Robert Downey Jr. film over three hours long is Avengers Endgame. But anyway, I would, wouldn't I? <laughs> because I'm me. But it was a really interesting experience. I don't think 
I know a lot of people have done Barbenheimer and they've talked about the order in which you should do it and we devoted the whole part of the show to that a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Honestly, tonally, I was fine with it. I was fine with the tonal whiplash because I host the Empire podcast. But everything else about it was just, the, it was the time. It was the late night. And frankly, it was my seatmates for Oppenheimer who made it a very oh. interesting experience. Uh, I don't want to throw anyone under a bus, although I did try. Uh, there were no buses at that time of night, so I couldn't throw this person under a bus. Uh, I sat down, picked a really good seat, IMAX pre-booked, went along, sat down, bang, middle of the middle of the row, Correct. middle of the screen, perfect Correct. seat, mm-hmm. right? I don't know who's sitting next to me. Just sheer potluck, sheer potluck. Uh, there was a, a a lady who I think had been a little bit, how should we say, enhanced with the addition of some... Beverage. She, she was drunk. <laughs> yes, Helen, thank you. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I generally wasn't sure what you meant. <laughs> yeah, she was a cyborg. That's basically what I'm saying. And uh, this is no word of a lie. Absolutely, 100% this happened. The movie is starting. The titles are starting. She turns to her companion and says, Out loud! Which she proceeded to do for the entire movie, by the way. <laughs> What's this about? What's this about? I knew you were going to say that. What's this about? What's this about? Uh, and then proceeded, and it wasn't too bad, it wasn't too bad, but proceeded to just like every now and again, just pepper commentary or pepper questions at, at her companion, but in an outside voice. Mm. Uh, you know, how, how, how could she tell me that due to the unfreezing process, she has no inner monologue? <laughs> so, it, you know, Robert Downey Jr. pops up, one of the most famous faces on the planet, the star of Avengers Endgame, of course. Thanks for clarifying, Chris. She goes, <laughs> that guy. Uh, yeah. Oh, Tony. Oh, oh, Tony. Spoilers there for Avengers Endgame. <laughs> I've got to do it. It's, <laughs> it's tradition. Um, she goes, is that Robert Downey Jr.? Out loud. And Matt Damon, another famous person, shows up. Where have I seen him before? She Matt goes. Damon. And then she goes, oh. And then she realizes what she'd seen him in, which was nice. Uh, and then there's a bit where Oppenheimer is being grilled about his political beliefs. Uh-huh. Uh, which is pretty much the entire film. But mm. and she, she goes, are they asking him about his political beliefs? I, I, at one Seriously? point, yeah, I, I thought I was sitting next to Diane Kunk at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure. But uh, she had clearly been dragged along. She was there under duress. She was loaded up on snacks. Just an endless array of snacks. I thought she was Mary fucking Poppins at one point. It's just like a, a bag, an endless bottomless bag. Like, how many packs of crisps can you possibly produce? That's... That's you quite know. some dragging to 11.30 showing of a three-hour yeah. movie I think on, was, a, on a school night. On a Tuesday night. I think it was very much, look, I want to see this movie. I really want to go see this movie. They, you know, this is the only time I can get a really good seed. Mm. Will you come with me? All right, then. Yeah. But to not ask what it's about until you sit down and it starts, I, I was it was an interesting It's a choice. Flex. It's definitely a choice. Yeah. I, um, I had a, a slightly similar thing. I went to a uh, special screening, they called it. It was originally going to be a premiere but you know strikes um <laughs> of haunted mansion last night and Ooh. i mean first of all there's insane security now getting into a lot of the big screenings that we go to this one was was very special they had a bag search they sort of wandered you down with one of those security wands they made you drink from any bottles of water you were carrying to be sure that they were water they made one woman in front of me unfold her fold up shopping bag to make sure it was an un, a folded up shopping bag. I guess they were worried about sort of just stop oil type 
flags or something. I have no idea. It was very mysterious to me. Um, And then you get in and walk past a bunch of, you know, foam set dressing Mm. things. And they they foist one of these. We get these little plastic bags that they tell us to put our phone in at screenings um, for, you know, obviously anti-piracy purposes and then but if you leave the cinema say to go to the loo they try to give you another plastic bag on your way back in just to make sure you definitely have one to put your phone in which didn't stop the influencer next to me texting every five minutes through the movie or checking her phone and it's like i i mean what no this is bad Oh. I wonder if she was at a talk to me screening last week because I also had a very similar experience. Like if, if you're just going to this for the photos, can you not just turn up, walk the whatever colour carpet it was, take your photos and then Fuck like off. go home? Mm. Like if you're yeah. that disinterested in the yeah. film, just go home. Yeah. It's just, you're in the, I was in talk to me, it's an hour and a half long, it's not a long film and it's very dark and the guy's phone screen next to me was very distracting. Mm-hmm. You can live for that long without messaging someone. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, these are first world problems. They are. First world problems. Uh, Anyway, should we have a question? Yeah. Uh, uh, Okay, so uh, I may have... uh, Helen was organised last week and actually asked for the question ahead of time. I did. It was amazing. I asked for the question three minutes after walking into this room. Here's one from Clark Dickey, Dickey Mint on Twitter. Uh, yes, I'm still on Twitter, or X, as it's now oh, apparently no, called. Oh, my absolute I refuse, I, to, to quote Helen, I absolutely refuse. Uh, no, no, thank you. I do not consent. Uh, still Twitter. I'm still tweeting. Uh, anyway, Clark Dickey on, on Twitter has seated, and he says, what questions shouldn't you ask in an interview? What's the worst reaction you've had? Okay, so I don't have an exact answer for this, but it does remind me of something I was talking about to some friends this morning, which was um, mis misidentifications. We were talking about like bad things that have happened in interviews that we've done or that we've seen or that we're aware of. Um, so the person on the red carpet once at the London Film Festival who misidentified she thought she was talking to Ken Loach. She was in fact talking to Mike Lee, and that is a mistake Oof. that, believe me, you do not want to make. No. Nah. Um, so that is number one. Know who you're talking to. That would be a super good, uh, super good start, I think, in any interview. Uh, but that then reminded me of a story I just heard from someone I interviewed for the magazine for a feature that will be in a future issue of Empire, Ooh. who was talking about having um, been on set of a film with Matt Damon, and everybody was Matt very excited, Damon. yeah, about Matt Damon showing up because he's been in many good things. And somebody on the film uh, went up to him, and you'll like this, Chris, um, started mm-hmm. complimenting his work in Instant Family and saying how much it meant no. to that person and no. how much no. they loved it. He apparently could not have been nicer and more gracious Oh, and talked to this person for several minutes about, yes, how wonderful Instant Family was, but that was, in fact, of course, Mark oh, Wahlberg. Um, but but left everybody feeling good about themselves and not, you know, didn't... That's very gracious. About the whole thing. I was I was impressed. I thought mm. that's that's some good work right there by Matt Damon. So yay to him. Anyway, that wasn't really the question, but I just wanted to share it. Mm. <laughs> so like Margot Robbie's in, and Emma Mackey and Samara Weaving are sort of incessantly asked about looking like each other. <laughs> right. Every time I see a clip of Margot Robbie answering that question, I'm like... She must be sick of that by now. I do feel you could make a really good online game, right? Where you sh- it, It's like a speed round and you have to very quickly identify yeah, which is which. Like that game where there's several circles and one's not quite the same colour as the other and it gets harder. Have you exactly. done that on TikTok? But that with, kind of but with those actors. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I haven't done a ton of interviews, so I haven't had any like real bad ones or anything go down really badly. Who have you interviewed? Did you interview anyone before you started this job? I mean, what was your journalistic experience? I obviously didn't uh, interview Sophie for a job. Uh, what, what sort of journalistic experience <laughs> did you have? I've done a few freelance bits. Um, right. I interviewed a couple people, um, like smaller who? directors like Lucy Bryden and Eva Riley. Okay. I interviewed um, Kate Blanchett for wow. uh, the Q&A section in the in Empire. Okay, John, good, John commissioned good. me on that one. She was very lovely and had 10 minutes. Was she that was your nice. first Empire thing? Your first Empire interview? No. Lucy Bryden, who directed a film called Body of Water, was my first okay. Empire interview, right. which um, Terry commissioned me to do. And how was that? Were you nervous? Uh, I was all right because I'd spoken to her before, because um, I'd seen the film at Glasgow Film Festival that year and I'd spoken to her then. But with, you know, with bigger names, you get nervous. And I did my first um, in-person interview. I've only ever done one in-person interview, uh-huh. um, which was Melanie Linsky for Yellow Jacket season two oh, with a junket she's amazing. a few months ago. She was lovely. Oh, love yeah. that. So my point was, you don't go into these interviews basically asking people about their political leanings, sex yeah. life. These are the sort of things that we, we kind of steer clear. We're, you know. I think Empire we're is lucky. very, yeah. yeah, Empire doesn't want that sort of thing. No. We're very focused on the work, right? So it's always a bit easier. I think I think it is. I think um, I, I'm always very very grateful that I don't have to do yeah. that stuff. Um, and as a you know as a freelancer, I've occasionally had to ask other people about elements of their life outside their work, um, but never anything I was uncomfortable with because I, I don't work for those papers basically. Mm. Um, but I have known you know people who whose job it is, and they're literally told you don't come back until you get a quote on X or Y. You know, it's sort of. They are put under a lot of pressure to ask this stuff. And thank God that isn't us. I do remember once going into uh, an interview with Jennifer Aniston for the breakup. And you remember that was around the time of her breakup. Mm. And every question must have been about Bradgelina. Like, I think everyone. And I, I swear to this day, I walked into the room and they said, this is Helen from Empire. And I saw her shoulders go down about three inches. Like, oh, thank fuck. She's not really? going to ask me about the fucking marriage yeah and i i mean maybe it was an optical illusion but i'm i'm pretty convinced that actually happened so i feel like we we have you know the the good fortune to be talking to people about stuff that they care about but that isn't hopefully at least wildly awkward personal and horrific to discuss yeah i remember talking to ben affleck uh for daredevil uh so this would have been around 2003 and there was a, a fair amount of chicanery going on because initially he wasn't available. This was around the whole Benefer thing, uh, part one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think he was turning shit down left, right and centre. And eventually, you know, we, we got him. And it was just like, dude, I couldn't give a shit about your personal life. I, mm. I do not care. I wish you all the best, obviously, but I do not care. I do care about you playing Daredevil. And I'd like to talk to you about that for 20 minutes, if that's okay. Um, that's what I said in my mind. But, you know, the, he, he got the gist. Um, you know, so we, we don't tend to do that. In terms, of, in terms of things you don't ask about, was that the question? I can't remember. I've already, it's already disappeared from my phone. But, um, yeah, you know, worst reactions. I've said it before, the Woody Harrelson thing where he walked out uh, on me when I did a public access interview with him. You know, but that's, that's fine. Uh, you know, he was clearly having a bad day. People are allowed to have a bad day. Yeah, totally this fine. is it. You get them in different moods. People are, if they've been doing a junket for a long time or if, you know, people are different every time you, mm. you have to sort of meet them where they are, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. But uh, but yeah, who was your first person for Empire, Helen? One on one was uh, the junket for Connie and Carla, and I think it was David Duchovny. Wow. Oh. Yeah, it was n- either good. him or Neil Vardalis. It was the same day, um, but that was that was actually a lot of fun. That was that was good. Wow. I did I did some round tables though as a sort of we, we did more round tables back in the day for the mm. website. So basically a round table is several journalists and a person. Mm. And um journalists aren't people, of course. And um <laughs> No scum. Scum of the earth. But that but that does kind of ease you in actually because it, it means yeah. that you don't have the responsibility of carrying the entire interview on your own. And it was a very good learning experience to most of the time sit there and go, Well, I wouldn't ask that. Jeez. <laughs> but sometimes go, Oh, that's a good question. I wonder if I can, you know use a spin on that in future. It is wild. I remember Ian Freer coming back from uh, a signs junket. I think it was Ian Freer. So when was signs? 2003? Again, yeah, 2002? No, 2002. Yeah. Science 2002. So he came back from a signs junket and uh, said that people had, you know, because we're obviously jaded and cynical ourselves, but there are some journalists that you meet on the junket circuit who are just, like, they're just... <laughs> they're just empty vessels that are you know, being pushed along. They have no souls. They have no love for the medium. They have no love for any of it. They're, they've been doing this for years. They've become kind of desiccated husks that occasionally ask questions uh, at roundtables. Sometimes they don't ask anything. But when they do, sometimes watch out because they have no filter and they don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these people may or may not have been associated with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I, oh, I couldn't so possibly, yeah, I couldn't possibly guessed, say. Uh, but apparently at the science junket, uh, some journalists just kept asking Joaquin Phoenix about River oh, and just and would not leave it alone. What? And it's oh. just, it's just extraordinary to me that people would do that. I've seen shit like that before. You know, I've said this on the podcast before, but I think, but I, I remember very, very uh, well a Billy Bob Thornton roundtable for Bad Santa at Cannes years ago where he, it was so much fun and he was having so much fun and he was in such a good mood and the film's terrific and everyone was loving it. And he went around the table and went, hey, okay, what did you guys think of the movie? You know, marks out of 10 and everyone was going eight, nine, seven, great, you know. And then he got to one woman and she was like, zero. And oh you know, she God. wasn't doing a bit. She just genuinely thought the film was just reprehensible. And that just dive bombed the interview from that point on because he he tried to laugh it off and go ha 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 you're entitled to your opinion was like, okay you know what did you like about it what did you dislike about mm. it and she literally said I thought it was reprehensible I thought it was morally disgusting and all that sort of stuff and he went ha 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 and then tried to move on and then he just couldn't shake it and he no. and he came back to her and he's like okay hang on a second and then it just turned into a Barney between the two right. of them for you the wouldn't next be five able minutes. to shake it would you you couldn't like, shake it if you look at it from their perspective they need to be professional but also but- like. Yeah, it's their work that they've spent a long time on. I get her impulse to be honest. That's yeah. you know yeah. commendable. You shouldn't to have to lie and everything. But at the same time, you know, there's a way to do it so you still get an interview. Um, yeah. So I don't know if she shot herself in the foot. Maybe she didn't. Mm. It, it, it felt very confrontational. It felt like she'd been offended by the movie personally, yeah. and it was taking it out on him. My favourite is not a question you shouldn't ask in, in an interview, but cer- certainly something you shouldn't do. Are you I now, on... or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? That's... <laughs> well, that's actually a, a solid one to God. avoid. It's a good but, opener. Um, it could be quite fun in an Oppenheimer junket, actually. Write, write that down, Sophie, because I know you're talking to Danny Philippou later on for, for uh, Talk To Me. Start with that. Oh, Start with God. that. What a great opener, Sophie. Yeah, great. Favourite sexual position. My... Straight into that. Yep. 
And I was uh, going to start with what's the worst Danny, thing that's ever happened to you? Talk yeah. to me. Oh was, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I love it. Ten out of you'll, you'll find out um, you in a bit when you hear the interview. Yes. <laughs> whether I did it or no. not. Yeah. My biggest piece of advice is not a question you shouldn't ask. It's something you shouldn't do. And it was, you know, it may or may not be a, a, a member of that August body that you mentioned before, Chris, um, who was on a, a, a junket with me at Pixar. And if you go to Pixar, they will sort of shepherd you round round tables with various heads of departments. So lighting and, you know, storyboarding and layout and so on. And and these people are a little bit more technical than some interviewers are used to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they are fascinating. You learn a lot about how Pixar works, and how Pixar thinks from these interviews. I find them really, really enjoyable. And a lot about yourself. And a lot about yourself. It's such it's such a great opportunity for self-reflection. I One learned woman, at Pixar that the magic was inside me all along. Oh, you know what? I <laughs> thought that. It must be because it's keeping your dead body yeah. upright, you know. <laughs> but this one woman who was with me on this junket... Um, <laughs> Fell asleep. She oh. fell asleep. She fell asleep, fell asleep during not one, not two, but three different roundtables of twenty minutes each. <laughs> oh come on now! Right. Now look, if maybe she has narcolepsy, <laughs> in which case I apologise for making fun of a genuine affliction. A genuine affliction. A genuine, but, but we I, must also emphasise hilarious affliction. But I, I don't think. I don't think she did. I think she was just. Uh, one of those people who's maybe not super professional. Jaded? Cynical? Yeah, all of the above. Nick, uh, again, I told this story before and I'm going to wrap it up with a story that I've told before because I only have three stories <laughs> and if you listen to the podcast long enough, you will hear them all <laughs> on a fucking endless loop. But Nick, also a can because can obviously brings out a lot of junket hacks, right? So <laughs> this is years ago, right? Uh, was doing a round table with Ben Mendelssohn and I can't remember what the leave <laughs> the project was but they were sitting oh, down they were sitting down and one of the journalists was going ah oh, so oh, who yeah. is this who is this Ben Mendelssohn guy ah oh, does anyone know anything about this Ben Mendelssohn guy and started talking to the person next do you know anything about this Ben Mendelssohn guy and he's going and this guy's going no don't know anything about Ben Mendelssohn at all. <laughs> listeners it's become apparent by now that Ben Mendelssohn was already sitting down and she was talking to Ben Mendelssohn oh about whether God. Ben Mendelssohn knew who Ben Mendelssohn was Ben Mendelssohn could be in this room right he, now. Well, yeah. he's could that be. good. He could be. He was everyone in that room, actually. He yes. was everyone in that he room. Didn't... Yes. Don't remind me of Secret Invasion. Please. My, my, my favourite starter to a round table was, again, a, a, a mad person. Prong um, Who in We were going into the final Twilight movie round table. Oh. It was mm. in LA. Oh. Seminal text. Yeah. Seminal text. Seminal text. And, um, <laughs> and somebody, uh, this, this woman starts asking the person next to her, uh, what happened to Jacob in this movie? What happened? And and this person started explaining that Jacob imprints on the baby, um, which yeah. is admittedly a mad Weird. plot point. It's, okay, and she was taken aback by this. It's cancelable, I think. It's yeah, cancelable. <laughs> and uh, and so when when you know the very nice, very down to earth Taylor Lautner comes into the room, yeah. like a guy who could not be more anxious to answer everyone's questions well and and be friendly and be helpful and everything. Shirt else. on or shirt off. Um. Uh, shirt on. I I, I'm talking about you. Shame. Oh yeah, no, obviously shirt off for me. Yeah, obviously. obviously. Um, and uh, and and literally the first five minutes of the interview were just her going, "I could not believe it." <laughs> they tell me what happened. I could not believe it. You fall in love with the baby, and and he's going, "Well, no, it's a bit more complicated than that. I didn't, you know, fall in love. It's a, it's a sort of a weird imprinting." I could not believe it. <laughs> oh, why is she making him defend that? He didn't write it. It's not his fault. God it's bless not him. his fault. 
That's an amazing accent. Was it's, she also after the fall of Madonna with the big boobies by any chance? Was. Jesus Christ. She really was. That's wild. Uh, all right, I'm going to finish it off uh, with... <laughs> Uh, stop me if you've heard this one before, but I was going to the set of Iron Man in what would have been 2007, obviously the first MCU movie, on a bus. Uh, this was back in the days when you know the, I, I was I, I was on a I was I was being part of round tables. You right. know I you know don't pull that shit with me anymore, Marvel. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I was on a bus with a bunch of other journalists going to the set. We get to the security gate. A journalist leans over to me, uh, a Russian journalist leans over to me, and again, no word of a lie. Who is this Iron Man? (laughs) And then 15 years later, she bought a ticket to see Oppenheimer (laughs) (laughs) and brought it all full circle. (laughs) That's Iron Man. 15 years later, that's Iron Man. The guy he's trying to take down, Oppie. Uh, cancel him cancel him Excuse immediately me. Oppie, oh, is a, Oppie is a Mars rover and I feel personally attacked by that real life nickname for J. Robert Oppenheimer I'm just saying why do you feel attacked by that, it's a, it's how's, a that Mars, how's that attacking it's you it's a Mars rover it's disrespectful to poor opportunity that but Oppenheimer's nickname predated that well so you say that probably wouldn't have been possible <laughs> without Helen's Oppie well. <laughs> you're just an opportunist <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'm an equal opportunist and oh uh, no one's going to be cancelling me. That's for damn sure. If you want to have your question right out in the Empire podcast, I don't know. Why would fucking you? Beam, I it mean... in, laze, beam it with a laser into the moon. I don't know. Threads, blue sky. Here's a, here's, okay, here's a challenge. You have a week to start and spread your own social media platform. Tell me about it. Invite me to be part of it. And then that's where the questions will come next week. But if not... The artist formerly known as Twitter is mm. still the only game in town. He's the awful one. I'm staying put. All right. <laughs> Why should I change my name? <laughs> Precisely. As social media editor, I don't want to talk about it. Don't All want right. to talk about it. Don't want to talk about it. Uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. Slide into my DMs if you can. <laughs> Reply to any of my tweets or seats if you can. <laughs> Uh, all right, should we get into movie news? Sure. Mm. Should be a quick one. It should be a quick one. Uh, strike still happening. Strike is still happening. A-M-P-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-M-T-
and I told you this yesterday, Chris, but you knew it already, but Rosemary Harris Mm -hmm. of Mm Spider-Man fame. I believe there's a hero (laughs) in all of us. (laughs) Is Jennifer Ely's mum, as in Pride and Prejudice, as in the definitive Lizzie Bennet. Didn't know that. I did, I mean, if I knew that, I had forgotten, but it certainly had not registered in my no, head. I didn't know anyway, that. I know this because Rosemary Harris, at the age of 95, hmm. was out picketing. Well, there was a rally in London, wasn't there, in Leicester Square, where, is it Equity, the sort of SAG equivalent over mm-hmm. here? So mm-hmm. lots of British actors showing solidarity. I saw Brian Cox was talking at that. Oh, fuck off, he probably said. Fuck yeah, off. Yeah, fuming. Oh, um, love him. I also saw clips of Andy Serkis talking and he he's an interesting one to talk to because he's someone who's obviously had his likeness captured a lot and edited mm-hmm. and adjusted on both sides in front of the camera and behind. How can you be sure that was Andy Serkis? Mm. Could, be it, could have been right Ben Mendelsohn. Could have been Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> um, that lady will never know. Um, Ken Mendelsohn. Ken Kendelson. <gasps> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> I Barbenheimer it myself. What can I, what can I say? <laughs> he's glitching. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating. Am I right in thinking that um, Air 24 is kind of... Uh, yeah, so they have carved out an exception yeah. for some indie mm. films and I think yeah, which, um, indie studio, essentially studios. There yeah. are 67 waivers, 67 yeah. waivers, 67 productions in the States right now apparently have waivers. Now, these are truly independent productions. Yeah. That's why they've been given waivers. They're not affiliated with any mm-hmm. studios at, 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 at this point yeah. in time. And they have also you know, promised to abide by certain terms, yes. which is led to the, these waivers being applied. So it's yeah. not, it's very much not a carving out exception so much as it is essentially winning vis-a-vis those productions. Yes. Mm, it's starting to have an effect on release dates now. Mm. Um, there was rumours of June moving back. I'm not sure if that's <laughs> been 100% confirmed yet. I think Challengers wasn't on the Fennis Film Festival and there's... Uh, you know, that's the Luca Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino tennis drama, yeah. Right, yep. Uh, yeah, so... I don't know. That seems that that seems to be being pushed back as well. And of course, this is all seems very much like a a, a case of Hollywood shooting itself in the foot because yeah. Barbenheimer uh, had an incredible mm. record breaking weekend at the box office last week. And you know we've we've talked about some of the bigger movies uh, that have done okay, but maybe maybe not done as well as anticipated. Dial of Destiny, even Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 hasn't done what I think they expected it to do at the box office, which is frankly barmy to and me. what but it should do in a just and equitable In a just and equitable yeah. world. Uh, I think studios are now going to have to, if they, <laughs> if they are moving forward, but they're going to have to maybe look at budgets and they're going to have to look at things. I know COVID is, a, is its own thing, and, but they're maybe going to have to look at budgets and revise their expectations downwards. So I think we've got to a point where people were almost thinking that one billion dollars was the new one hundred million dollars, and mm. it was just a, a cinch to get the to to a billion. There's been one billion dollar movie this year so far, and it's a Super Mario Brothers movie. Now, whether Barbie gets there because it's done incredibly well in something weekend, it's looking. We good. shall see. It's looking good, but you never know. But it 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 probably will get there. Uh, but the, you know, but the billion isn't the guarantee it once was mm. pre-COVID. It was a, a ludicrous sentence to say uh, a billion dollars will get you. Killian Mbappe services for a year, uh, it seems, but it ain't easy for a film to attain. It's just, it's bizarre. But anyway, so what I'm saying is that Barbenheimer did incredibly well. Oppenheimer made over $80 million at the, uh, in his opening weekend, which is astonishing for a three-hour movie that mm. is pretty much a bunch of people talking in rooms for three hours. Yeah. Uh, Barbie made over $150 million in his opening weekend. These are US figures, of course. 
uh, and you know, and that's a that's a record in so many ways, and so many records were broken uh, as a result. It was the biggest one-two punch ever, I think. Uh, was it the I, biggest opening weekend for a female director? Biggest mm-hmm. opening weekend for a female director. All of these things, all these records were being broken. People are going to the cinema in droves. You know, yes, we we were comedically griping about uh, people sitting next to us. Uh, how fucking dare they in in Barbenheimer? But the fact is. That cinema was pretty busy at 11.30 on a Tuesday night yeah. and trying, you know, I, I hadn't seen Barbie or Oppenheimer and I was looking, I was thinking about just popping along <laughs> at the weekend and I looked at uh, my local picture house and I looked at my local Odeon and I was like, oh, I am not just popping along mm-hmm. because there is nothing. No all the seats, all the good seats are gone and in, in all the IMAX screens. Uh, Barbie is just sold out. Oppenheimer is sold out. That has a little bit of an effect, a little bit, little bit of spillover effect into the likes of Mission and Dial of Destiny, but not a huge uh, effect. But the fact is that people are going to cinema now. They're energized. They're excited. Mm. They're dressing up. They're, you know, I saw ladies get off the bus the other day all dressed in pink and they were clearly excited about going to see Oppenheimer. Uh, so, <laughs> well, well, well done to them. But people are galvanized, right? And yeah. we've been talking about disappointing box office all summer long. And now we have this situation where the box office looks like it's pointing upwards again. And then the studios are going, yeah, <laughs> no, we're actually going to uh, not come to the negotiating table. We're not going to settle this strike because we could. We absolutely could. We have it in our power. We could do it in the stroke of a pen, the push of a button. We could absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. We could meet your demands and not lose a, a bead of sweat. But they're not doing it because awful people. Um, but they're not doing it, which is a real shame. And what's weird is now Wall Street is actually turning against the studios. I think that's been the fear oh, for the I studios. That that. They, yeah, there, there, were, there were Wall Street analysts and, and investors to, speaking out uh, along the lines of settle this, this is crazy. Because you now have a situation where, for example, one of the films that they're looking at pushing back to next year is Disney Animation's Wish. And Wish mm. it has been specifically designed as a 100-year celebration of Disney anima- as of Disney animation, mm. Disney Studios. So it's the 100th anniversary of the finding of Disney this year. And, and literally this film is all about wishing upon a star and all these kind of Disney tropes. And they have built in references to all sorts of Disney movies of the past, you know, sort of woven into the fabric of this thing. But also it's an original story. It's a, a new fantasy, blah, blah, blah. And they're looking at pushing that back to next year because of this strike. That is crazed. That, that's cray cray. It is cray cray. It is cray cray. It, it has been specifically de- designed for this release date, for this Thanksgiving in the US. That is demented. And they're, and, and they're damaging cinemas. They're damaging Cinema cinemas, yeah. And here and there are on the verge of closing and yeah. they're taking the product away from them. And they were trying to, t- to get cinema operators to intervene with SAG, etc. and say, you need to stop striking. And, you know, because, and, you know, the answer is not SAG needs to stop striking. It's like you need to take these requests, these very reasonable requests for things like breaks for young people seriously and not just say no to everything. It's, it's anyway, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. But, um, but yeah, hopefully the, the pressure of literally the entire world mm. will make a difference. Anyway, there was, I mean, a little bit of other movie news, I guess. Ugh. Mm. Ugh. Um, so um, you mentioned Venice so they have announced the ah, lineup, Venice. and what they've kind of gone for is 
like there have been a lot of worries about what are the autumn festivals going to do because this strike is expected to go for another couple of months, right? So what what do you do if you're planning Venice, if you're planning Toronto, and you're suddenly not going to have all this star power getting out of little you know motor launches and and you know striding up um, uh, into the into the festival hall? And the answer is you get star directors. Uh, seems to be the plan. Um, so there are going to be uh, a lot of big, big names uh, headed to Venice. Um, Ridley Scott apparent, apparently is bringing Napoleon. Denis Denis Villeneuve is currently due to bring uh, Dune Part Two, and Martin Scorsese obviously Killers of the Flower Moon. David Fincher is going to be back with The Killer which is the Michael Fassbender film with Tilda Swinton and so on. It's very mm-hmm. exciting. Very exciting. Ava DuVernay with Origin. Mm. Wes Anderson with, I think it's a short film, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Uh, Sophia Coppola's Priscilla, Michael Mann's Ferrari, Bradley Cooper's Maestro. Um, you've got oh. William Friedkin, Harmony Corrine. Wow. J.A. Bayona, Richard Linklater, Yorgos Lanthimos, Pablo Lorraine. What a lineup. And then some yeah. other people. Um, that is a heck of a lineup of directors because that's the only people currently that they're going to have to walk the carpet. Are they going to fight Ethan Hunt in a, in a disco? <laughs> it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Also, like, what do you do if you're Bradley Cooper? Do, can you answer questions about directing but not about your performance? Like, how does that work? It's going to be really, really? an interesting line to Don't walk know. there. Will he be there? I mean... It's a good question. It's hard to know. So, yeah, anyway, uh, but at the moment, as things stand, they are planning, obviously, to go ahead with Venice. So, you mm. know... Yeah, it's just crazy. Exciting. Again, this is an industry that's just recovering, is teetering after COVID. Why why push it down again? Why push it down again? Well, we are still getting some films coming out. So there was a trailer yesterday for Yay. The Exorcist Believer. I'm a believer. Your mother bakes cakes and all. Are you, are you sure? That's the, you know what, that's the line. Mind. That's the line. So this is the David Gordon Green uh, sequel to... Mm. The Exorcist. Yes. 50 years on. Yeah, mm. that's mad, isn't it? It's crazy. And it. uh, Ellen Burstyn is in it. That is exciting. That she is very is. exciting. She's in it. She has avoided all the previous Exorcist sequels and prequels and reboots and TV shows. But this is the one that they managed to pay her. This is the one that they managed to pay her respect, enough respect. Uh, and her character, Chris <laughs> McNeil, enough respect that she came back and, and did this. I've spoken to David Gordon Green about this movie. And uh, he's been he's been talking a good talk, ah, okay. you know. But he also did that for Halloween Kills, and look where we got it. Look, look where that got us. Um, but good I will trailer, say, though, I thought. Halloween Ends I thought was terrific. I'm I'm, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to go on the record. I thought it was the best of the trilogy. Halloween Ends, okay, really good, really interesting. And if you if you know, and it didn't just retread the original Halloween. And I get the sense that he's trying not to retread the Exorcist here. I mean, how can you, right? Not quite. But the, uh, the interesting thing about the Exorcist franchise, as such as it is over the years, is that, you know, whenever they do make an Exorcist, for the most part, it's actually really interesting. Exorcist 2, the, the, the Heretic, the John mm-hmm. Burman sequel is awful, but in the sense that you cannot, it's some wild swings in there and you cannot tear, tear your eyes away from it. William Peter Blatty's Exorcist 3 is terrific. You know, until they uh, they had a studio mandated exorcism in at the end because they were like, uh, you are, are going to have some exorcism in your exorcism movie. Yeah. Uh, and the, probably the less said about the uh, the Paul Schrader, Rennie Harlan, Dominion exorcism, prequel to the ex- yeah kerfuffle, mm. the better. But still, you know, Schrader's isn't, and, and the Pope's exorcist, which is the best of them all, <laughs> quite frankly. And if you don't like that, then take it up with my boss, the Pope. <laughs> 
Your boss. My boss. Yeah. yeah. I've been, I've been telling undercover, Northern I've been, Ireland on you. I've Chris been is undercover. <laughs> undercover Pope. That's an amazing. Undercover. Undercover Pope. Pope. The oh, Pope man. goes undercover in the Orange Order. Are you sure? Yes. I'm not sure. I think that's a good one. <laughs> I'll, I have some notes, but cool, I guess. I mean, I like the title. Let's yeah. workshop it. Davy, Davy, do you want a pint? Um, <laughs> I am not the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> really, oh that sounds like something like the Pope was saying. They <laughs> were trying to allay suspicion. This will workshop the dialogue. We'll, we'll work I, on it. I think. I think basically, I have <laughs> I have the rough idea. Oh no! What a mistake it to make a says the Pope. <laughs> anyway, there's an idea. Uh, take it up on my boss Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. Now, David Gordon Green is he trying to break down up? Uh. It might be by now. It might be by now. Okay. Uh, so I spoke to him for a trailer breakdown. He said that the demon in this is not Pazuzu. Pazuzu! <gasps> uh, who, of course, was the demon of the first movie. Mm. Oh. That's a shame because Ben used a great line in the news story for the trailer, which was, when they come back from the forest, they're Pazuzu'd up the wazoo. Up the wazuzu. Uh, see, he, wow. he, he, oh, yeah. yeah. So he's done there. Yeah, he did. He no, let no, it slip, actually, there, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, this is, this is why Ben fails. Oh, <laughs> uh, but you know it's fine I'll, I'll he'll listen to this and go damn it uh, but this is this looks interesting so this is the exorcist believer Ellen Burstyn is back as Chris McNeil there are rumours that uh, Linda Blair might appear as Regan McNeil at somehow some at some point uh, she was certainly on set because David Gordon Green told me that he basically hired her as a demon performance advisor to the two young wow. actresses oh, who, cool. are, who are in the cool. movie Um Mercedes McCambridge obviously is no longer with us and the legendary makeup effects uh, guru Dick Smith is no longer with us either but it looks interesting and he's he's approaching it from this kind of philosophical spiritual point of view much like Friedkin did with the original movie is two young girls who are possessed this time rather than one young girl and they have two families both of whom have different approaches to religion and different approaches to spirituality and neither of them are Catholic so it's about trying to find how do you find an exorcist and an exorcism uh, in a situation like that where you can't quite agree on which approach to take and mm. which religion to to uh, hang your your flag on so to yeah. speak uh, looks interesting, you know, but the problem is since Friedkin broke all that new ground in 1972 or three, I want to say three. Uh, well, this will be 50 years. Though. It is 50 years. Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, 73. Um, maybe they should push that back. So it's celebrating the 51st anniversary. <laughs> so 73, Friedkin, you know, pushes all, breaks all that new ground in 1973. And since then, I don't know that the exorcism subgenre has necessarily done anything new or interesting. Now and again, there'll be one that smashes out of the park, like Scott Derrickson's The Exorcism of Emily yeah, Rose. creepy film. Fuck mm. me. But, <laughs> so, subtext, fuck me. <laughs> Chris Hewitt, Empire. Um, and, but I don't know. It you know, it, it all seems sometimes a little bit been there, done that, mm. got the possessed t-shirt. What do you guys think? I've been talking far too long about this. No, I think that's, I think that that's true. I mean, I liked... I like individual exorcism scenes sometimes, like Constantine actually had quite cool Constantine, one yeah. with the mirror above the bed. Yeah. yeah. Remember that? That was, that was really cool. And so there have been like moments like that that were quite visually cool or, or interesting. Obviously, you know, stuff like uh, Supernatural has done it to death. Like every possible variation on exorcism has at some point done it, been done in Supernatural, let me assure you of that. Did their nipples get possessed? <sighs> okay, not every possible 
one. All what right, would, well, a, what well, would a possessed nipple <laughs> do? Like, Never ask would, me that question, Helen. I really regret <laughs> That's it. That's a leading question. I just, I don't think, anyway, again, once again, and I really cannot stress this enough, they have their shirts on for entire seasons at a time. Yes, but what I'm proposing <laughs> is Supernatural Season 16. In which I'm listening. Dean and Sam's nipples get possessed. Nope. Uh, and I'm then out. they meet the Pope, who is undercover in the Orange Order, <laughs> and is also Russell Crowe. And is also can Russell Crowe. Can I remind you of almost every time that an American network TV show has gone to Northern Ireland and what it looked like? And can I suggest the you atrocities? That we don't do that. The atrocities inflicted upon the Northern Irish people by network TV by is, network are TV. worse than the atrocities inflicted on Northern Irish people by, by the Northern, Northern Irish, Irish people. people. So <laughs> yeah. really, like, there, there was, the, I don't know if you, in Alias, right, the globetrotting spy show, there Never was one time it. where she had to go to Cork and they bring up a, a you know, a, a sort of establishing shot of Cork mm, mm-hmm. and they right. say, it says Cork on it, right? And Cork is like the second biggest city in Ireland. It is, I have right? family that live in Cork. Right. Been there many times. It's the biggest so, laundry department in Ireland. The picture they showed was of a small fishing village. Oh, no. It's in fairness, big, big city. Cork is a small fish. I mean, in fairness, it's not a huge city. It's not a huge city and it is on the coast, so they've got that right. Yeah. Everything else, though. There's lots of nice stuff in Cork. Lots of nice stuff in Cork. Mm. Go visit Cork, everybody. Yeah, it's nice. That's a message. Um, Are you but... sponsored by the <laughs> Tourism Ireland Board? <laughs> well, I am going to Northern Ireland next week. So Are you? Yeah, I am, yeah. How long? I told you I'm going away next week. For how long? Friday to Friday. It's a week. Oh, a week. Okay. I'm I'm going back to Northern Ireland for most of August. Hey, there you go. There it's you go. a place to be. I'll be there for the 15th. I'm not going to oh. Northern Ireland. Oh, <laughs> missing out. You are missing out. It's uh, the, the crack is mighty. <laughs> yeah. Love a bit of crack. Anyway, anyway as you can tell, there's not a lot of... Other no, there is. There, there is. There is. There's the Marvels. There was a Marvels trailer. The oh, Marvels. Yeah. Um, I'm marvellous. Yeah. Now, in fairness, uh, I don't know... Whether I haven't seen Secret Invasion, the I final have. episode of Secret Invasion, at time of recording, I'm I'm having to gird my loins and and take a long run up to that <laughs> one. Uh, I saw it was 37 minutes. The the yeah, it's finale. Very, it's, it's pacey. It's pacey. Oh, is not in a Dawson's, Dawson's Creek. Creek. Wait, no, no, that no. would be a real turn up for the book. That honestly it would have been See an improvement. See a squirrel as well <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Joshua Jackson turning up would have been a, a, a kind of amazing, don't you think? I would. I would be that interested is his name, in that. Isn't it? Why, why isn't he in the Marvel Universe? I think he'd be good. I don't know Did who Did you know who, that uh, because of uh, LDG, Little Drink Again, I have been you know, experiencing a smattering of kids' TV shows recently. Sure. One of the kids' TV shows we've been experiencing is a thing called Vampirina. Now, I have notes about all these things, but Vampirina is about a vampire family who relocate from Transylvania to a human neighborhood and then try and blend in despite being obviously... Vampires. vampires. Okay. Uh, and James Vanderbeek voices the dad. Oh, hmm. fair play. Yeah. Well done, him. Yeah. Dawson's Coffin Dawson. Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. It's a good joke. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, let's pick up the pacey. Uh, what were we talking about? The Marvels. The yes. Marvels. So Secret Invasion's a load of shit, but hopefully the Marvels won't be. And I don't know whether. <laughs> now my colours to the master. Uh, I, which is the phrase I was looking for earlier on. Go, nail your flag to the pole. <laughs> nail your colours to the mast, you idiot. Uh, Secret Invasion is a disappointment, shall we say. But the final episode might bring it back in 37 brisk minutes. Uh, who knows? We shall find out. But I don't know what, yet whether The Marvels is a prequel or a sequel to that show. Does uh, I think it's a sequel without giving away any spoilers for Secret Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because Nick Fury is obviously in it. Yes. Um, okay. Which is also not a spoiler for Secret Invasion. That made it sound like he dies. And, right. Or doesn't die. Anyway. 
No. Yeah. That's fine. Um, fun trailer. Fun trailer. Yeah, the first one was fun. Um, yep. I think the, the central concept of them all swapping bodies and swapping places is a really fun one. Um, it doesn't give a huge amount of clue about what the actual plot is. You get a better look at um, Zoe Ashton as the villain. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, she a, little bit cool. more action, a little bit more action, I would say, this time than yeah, before. There's a nice shot at the end of them all, all three of them fighting with her. Um, but it doesn't give a ton away. So it seems to be that she is a Cree. Mm-hmm. Feels like she's mm. a Cree who has beef with Carol Danvers. In fact, her name even sounds a bit like Danvers, doesn't it? Uh, let me just see. Hang on. Yes, she plays Darben, which actually sounds nothing like Danvers. Ignore me. But uh, <laughs> that's who Sally Ashton plays. And a uh, female villain, of course, Nia DaCosta co-wrote and then directed this movie. Mm. Uh, it does look like a lot of fun, but she seems to have beef with Carol Danvers. She says, Sophie, what's the line? You took everything from me. Which Something indicates like that. that Carol Danvers has become some sort of intergalactic bailiff. In the in the years I mean, in between, yeah, she's been up to something. And we're she not sure what. <laughs> Could be that. So, uh, and she does something with the Light bracelets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kamala Khan has. So she uses that to somehow do a bit of shigri pokery. That means that all, which is, I guess, makes sense. So all the people who have these kind of light powers, so photon, Monica Rambo played by uh, Tayona Paris, uh, who was introduced in WandaVision, and obviously Kamala Khan, played by Iman Falani, and Carol Danvers, played by Brie Larson. Every time they use their powers, they switch places with each other, no matter where they are in the galaxy, mm. which is uh, interesting. Helen has notes about the science, but we'll, we'll, I mean, <laughs> we'll get to no, that. No, 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 this is fine. A wizard did it and ran away. Like that kind of science oh, I'm okay on. with. This is what you're fine with? <laughs> yeah. This is what quantum you're fine en- with? Quantum entanglement, dude. It's fine. But heaven forfend, someone go to one place in London and then it pop up in another place in London that is not too far right. away from the other place in London. <laughs> Look, it's it's there was, a, there was a great Terry Pratchett quote about this that I'm about to misquote. But it was something along the lines of you can be you can be vague about the route to the mountains of dreams, but you have to know the way to the post office. Mm. Like you, you can be vague about the magical bangles, like shift your place wherever you are in the universe, but you have to know your way to Greenwich from Charing Cross. You do, but you know, that, okay, that's unforgivable. But you know, <laughs> filming permits and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> looks like fun. There's a couple of shots that look a little bit, you know, CG heavy. They're quite obviously green screeny, mm. compositely backgroundy. But uh, but apart from that, it looks fun. There was a shot of lots of baby kittens floating around. Lots baby flurkins, flurkin, flurkins, 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 flurkins. flying flurkins. Um, yeah, um, flock yeah, of just, just for the oh, flock, 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 flock of flurkins, flock of flurkins. <laughs> Flurkins all over the shop, uh, but yeah, I, I th- is this is the the last trailer of the Marvels? I kind of hope so, so in a way, you yeah. know, because you don't want to see half the movie before you go no. in, do you? So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too mad if it is the last one, sort of the last big one. You can have a couple of yeah, re-edits as TV spots mm. or whatever. Mm. That's fine. And I, I presume Ben Shapiro's done a tight thirty-seven minutes on <laughs> on this trailer, has he? Ben Shapiro destroys the Marvels trailer for thirty-seven minutes. Arr, women. You'd be surprised at the amount Five of seconds. people who do still like in our comments just in just spewing crap. 
Spewing yeah. crap. Just at the fact that it's three women front yeah. in it. They, 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 they feel it's so important to let you know that they're not interested in it. And yeah. Like, you're taking Super the ti- important. You're taking the time out of your day to tell us you're not interested in it. Not I mean, interested, don't care. How don't disengaged care. can you be? Very disengaged, <laughs> very disengaged. But listen, I am an ally. I am a feminist. I am the son of a mother and the mother of a daughter. And... <laughs> I am the nephew to a female I'm just Ken. Yes. I am, yeah. I am, I am the son of a motherless goat. I am all of these things. Uh, I am very, very, yeah, I'm excited about the Marvels. And uh, yeah, there yeah. you go. That's the end right. of that sentence. Right. Okay. Anything else? Uh, that's pretty much all I saw. Really? Is that uh, it? There's a, I guess um, there's been no casting news because how could there be? No, pretty much not. If you're a studio head and you're listening to this, then please do talk to the SAG, talk to the Guga, Wooga. The WGA, talk to them and resolve the strike. So we have some movie news to talk about. Although, in fairness, we did about 20 minutes there. So that's not bad. <laughs> uh, all right. A couple of quick plugs. One, if you are listening to this on Friday, July 28th, and you're in London and you're uh, at a loss for something to do, there may well still be tickets available for the live spoiler special interview with Christopher McQuarrie that is taking place at King's Place tonight, July 28th, one night only. Uh, 7pm spiritual home it's going to be incredible uh, and it is a culmination of our epic sit downs on this movie part one by the way part one of the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Spoiler Special interviews with Christopher McQuarrie is now up all three and a half hours of it. It will soon be followed by part two which is a mere sprightly two hours and 15 minutes and then on Friday which is one of the reasons why we're doing this a little bit early. On Friday, uh, he and I will be sitting down for another full day to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and then we'll be going straight to King's Place and talking about it some more. Uh, at which point, I expect him to fully fully just shake my hand and go, I hope to never, to never see you again. Uh, there are no more words. Yes, please do not darken my door ever, ever again. Uh, it's going to be incredible. Um, and uh, there are still a couple of tickets at time of recording available. Go to kingsplace.uk and search for Empire or Chris McQuarrie uh, or Mission and it'll come up. The URL is far too complicated to go into here, but uh, check them out. £12.50 if you are if you want to hear some incredible anecdotes from, frankly, the best storyteller I've ever heard, then come along friday night it's going to be amazing and if not and you just want to hear the spoiler specials then subscribe now empire.supportingcast.fm or supportingcast.empire.fm it's one of the two (laughs) what do you want from me preparation professionalism i think we're well past that by now uh anything else oh live shows I guess Helen James isn't here this week, so we should mention that Pilot is doing... Pilot has a live show. He's doing a live show. On August the... Saturday the 19th of August. 19th of August. It's our 250th episode. It is. Bless their little cotton socks. How how did they get that far? I mean, yes, well done them. And that's also King's Place, which is our spiritual home, not their spiritual home. They're trying to claim it from us. No, you know, be Look, good. They're just good, like the Airbnb guests, yes, spiritually. That's yeah, <laughs> who come so, in now and again. Yeah, you know what? Buy a ticket. Buy a ticket. Go on. Go, go on, on. Go on. Buy go a on, ticket. Go on. Go on. Uh, and then we're doing a live show uh, at the London Podcast Festival. Well, actually, we're doing two live shows. So yeah. we're doing one live show on September 9th We are the headline act. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> at, uh, on Saturday, September 9th, at the London Podcast Festival, King's Place. 
and it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a bespoke show. It's going to be a one-off show. Uh, we're hoping to get to the point soon where we can actually activate streaming passes for people who can't make it to London. Ticket sales are going pretty well, but could do better. And if you want to be able to stream it, then hopefully we can get to that point pretty soon. So kingsplace.co.uk for that. And then, this is interesting, We've never done this before, on September 14th, September 14th, in the evening of September 14th, Helen's looking at me quizzically, but you definitely do know about this because I've do? told you many, many times. Okay. We are doing a team-up, a mashup, oh, yes, I do know a that. crossover. Yeah. And I have no idea how this is going to work. <laughs> I don't think they know either, but frankly, we're going to have fun finding out with the podcast, the hit podcast, Drunk Women Solving Crimes. So it's going to be a drunk women solving empire, essentially. <laughs> I guess we'll be solving crimes together. I don't know. Here's the the slight fly in their ointment, the the spanner in their works. It's going to be me, Helen and James. None of us drink. No one drinks. <laughs> Drunk women and sober, sober women and sober men <laughs> solving crimes. It Drunk women and teetotal twats. Okay, Is it that woman from crimes. your Oppenheimer screening? Yeah, I'll, I'll stagger straight. What's I, this about? That's what I, instead of getting drunk, I'll just watch Barbie and Oppenheimer again and then stagger straight there mm. with my mind gone, my synapses fried. <laughs> so that's available as well. Uh, and that is also on kingspice.co.uk. Boom. My God, there's a lot of stuff. Plugs, so plugs. Stuff. Plugs, plugs, plugs. Closing up the plug bag. All right. <laughs> Who wants a guest? Yes, please. Me. Uh, Sophie, you are interviewing said guest. So mm. set him up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so this is uh, Danny Philippou, one of the directors of the new horror film Talk To Me that's out this week. Um, he's a co-director. He directed it with his twin brother, Michael Philippou, um, who can't talk to us today. So I'm just talking to Danny. Um, and it's a great new horror. We're going to review it later. I haven't done the interview yet, so I don't know what we're going to say, but I'm sure it'll be great. Enjoy. Here's Danny Philippou. Enjoy. We're delighted to welcome to the Empire podcast today, Danny Philippou, co-director of Talk To Me. Danny, how's your day going so far? It's all going awesome. Very excited to talk to you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you too. Uh, congratulations on the film. I absolutely loved it. Um, I know that you and Michael have been making movies since you were kids. I mean, just to like take stock for a second, how does it feel now to be sort of days away from your feature debut being released into the world. Have you had a chance to kind of savour that moment and enjoy it? Uh, uh, we've been doing a lot of travelling around and, and uh, a lot of press and stuff. And it feels mm. like, when we shot the film and released it, like the first screening was in October last year. So it feels like we've been, it's been like on pause or something. And then so we're about to press resume and now it's about to go out globally. It's very exciting and nerve-wracking and um yeah i'm so curious to see how it all happens and and we've never experienced this side of uh filmmaking like uh the producers and that are talking about sending over these box office reports uh, mm. like, and so that's insane to me and new to me and um yeah very nerve-wracking but it's so exciting and uh it still feels so surreal like, even walking into a cinema and seeing uh my poster on the wall for our film is uh, the craziest feeling ever. It's uh, incredible. It's so so exciting. I bet. And it's it's going big, right? I mean, I saw it here in the UK. It's been distributed by uh, Altitude over here. Yeah. And um, when they introduced the film at the screening, they said it was like their biggest distribution plan that they've got, I think. Like, um, they're wow. really, really pushing it hard. So it must feel good to, have, to know that lots of people are going to get to see it. Yeah. And it was so awesome to go to... Um, 
to London and uh, that, that cinema, I think it's called the Music Box Theatre uh, in, in uh, London. I think that's what it's called. Uh, okay. The London screening had the best sound in the world. Like I cannot right. believe how good that sound was. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind. Like, even the smallest little touches that we put in the in the surround sound. Mm. It really, oh my, and like you heard everything. So me and Michael loved those screenings in London and UK. And uh, yeah, the audiences there were amazing and Altitude have been so generous. So uh, yeah, we've loved, we've loved, uh, we loved our time in London. Oh, amazing. Um, I mean, you and Michael made a name for yourselves in via YouTube, uh, where you you know, you posted for years, you really honed these skills in terms of comedy, horror, stunt, special effects, all of it. Going into directing this feature, what stuff did you find that you kind of carried over with you from YouTube? And what were some of the new things you learned or what came as a surprise? Yeah, yeah. We we're able to bring even our, our makeup artist, Beck Borado, who uh, did all of our Racka Racka stuff for free. Like she would constantly just be helping us, helping us because we never had the money to really like um, spend like that. But she she just wanted to be involved. So we were able yeah. to bring her over and have her be a head of department on makeup on Talk To Me, which was so amazing having her on set and having that familiar uh, um, presence was was really nice. Mm. We we We... Did so much work on the practical side. So we were able to be really hands-on with a makeup bottle with our prosthetics team mm-hmm. to, to really break down what we wanted and uh collaborate with them to bring help bring the spirits and the and the violence to life. Yeah. Uh, but what came as a surprise was the music. And, and uh we learnt in this process uh that we want to work with a composer way earlier, like in pre-production or even when we're writing the script to send that to them and start having music composed uh, while in that stage. Because mm-hmm. I think that um, it being slapped on at the end, we didn't have as, uh, enough time to, we actually did get there in the end, thank God, but we were right up against the wall of trying to get the music right. And, and Michael's very specific with sound and music. And um, to have that be ingrained in the bones of the script, I think is a, will be a very helpful tool, tool moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was going to come on to this later, but I felt I really loved the soundtrack and it felt like you were using, I'm not familiar with it, but a lot of like Aussie artists. It felt like anyway, which really helped like ground the film in Australia. I mean, were you thinking about that sort of stuff earlier on as well? Or was that kind of all stuff that you learned, the soundtrack and the score? Did you sort of realise as you went along? Well, yeah, like we were really heavily thinking about the soundtrack in pre-production and um. Uh, even to have Sia, who's uh, a South Australian artist, uh, feature in a film was amazing. And she um, gave it to us for a quarter of the price because oh, wow. we were South Australian. So we were able to get that for a lot cheaper than yeah. it normally would cost. And it's awesome being able to put the spotlight on um, some smaller artists as well. Like There's an amazing artist named Takara. Uh, we love her so much. She's from Australia and we were able to integrate her music into the film as well. And um yeah, there was a bunch of like upcoming artists who were able to to put a spotlight on, which was really, really amazing. Oh, great. Um, to go back to the beginning a little bit, I know that Talk To Me started life um, as an idea from Daley Pearson, um, who we know from the MCU, as well as creating shows like Bluey. So that's kind of wild that he's gone from a kid's animated <laughs> show to a horror film. We spoke to him for the MAG a few um, issues ago as well. Just can you tell us how that all sort of came about, really, how that process started? Yeah, yeah. Well, we we just met Daly years ago and uh, just connected with him. And he was a producer and he was a director. And uh, we just became really good friends. And uh, he sent me this script, which was more of a, a comedy film to begin with. It was a, sort of a horror comedy about these kids having fun with possession. And I, I personally had had an experience where these neighbors that we watched grow up, one of them was experimenting with drugs for the first time. And he was 
on the floor convulsing and all the kids that he was with weren't helping him. They were just filming him and laughing at him. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I remember seeing that footage and it really bothering me and sticking with me. And so there was that experience and there was these characters that I was working on in another thing, which was Mia and the Jade and the Riley. And then uh, daily short film about these kids having fun with possession. It just all uh, came together and, and there was like a, a, a flow. And once I did a rewrite, made it a bit more serious. Once I started writing, I couldn't stop. And um, yeah, my amazing collaborator, Bill Hinsman, who I co-wrote the script with, we were able to find a hand in the second draft of the film and, and start bringing, bringing it all to life. So it, uh, yeah, it was, it was so, the, the writing process is so much fun as well to explore that. Yeah, of course. And I know that, so you worked on the screenplay, whereas Michael didn't. What, what is it for you about writing that you, um, that you really enjoy as opposed to directing and why you want to get involved in that side of things? I, it's very therapeutic to write and you can express yourself really personally and you can, uh, yeah. I, I, and it's a, a process that I just couldn't do with Michael because it's my brother. And, like, <laughs> I'm not gonna, it's just too awkward. Like I just definitely, I feel like we'd just be at each other's throats the whole time. So I definitely <laughs> couldn't write it with Michael, <laughs> but Mike, Michael was really good at um giving me really brutal notes. So I would send him a script. <laughs> yeah. And he'll be like, boring lame what is that like he'll be like really <laughs> like that um but you need someone that you can trust and that you know isn't just saying that to say it it's like some people are too they're big, trying to be too nurturing when they're giving notes or they're scared to to be too mean so uh it's good to have someone like your brother to just punch holes in the script <laughs> tell you it like it is <laughs> Not yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> um Something I wanted to talk about was the opening sequence because um, it really hits you over the face. It's so great. It's such a great start. It's got such energy. It's this long take. It ends with a really shocking moment that really lets you know what you're in for. Um, What went into devising that opening sequence? How did you know that that's how you wanted to start the film? Well, I I knew that... uh throughout the film there's these party sequences and i uh, uh it's sort of uh the hand is a bit represent uh, like a representation of um vices and like so mm. if we're going to use the drug or alcohol analogy that those parties start really grand and then slowly dwindle and get smaller in size and i knew I wanted to, to to have an opening that from the outside pulls our audience into the world of this film and into the horror and um there's so many subtextual things that are going on there with the door and then the characters and what's being said um and with the phones and the cameras and, and uh i just mm. knew we wanted to yeah pull the audience in and uh and show them the, the consequences that could happen to our main characters uh with what they're messing with uh, also it was the last thing that we shot because we had to really build up to that because there were hundreds and hundreds of extras there and it was one take and it was 3am in the morning and it was uh yeah it was uh that, that but because it was a wrapping shot that that fake party turned into a real party like as soon as it <laughs> um it, it was like yeah like an explosion and, and also another fun thing about that opening sequence is that uh all the main actors like mia and jade and riley they're all in that sequence dressed up as different characters uh and I... they're throughout the frame so you can spot them if you look really carefully it's like uh... <laughs> a little easter egg when you go back and rewatch it see if you can find them see if you can find them yeah it, it's difficult but they're there they're on camera you can see them it's uh it's so it was fun amazing it makes sense i guess because that's it is an ambitious like sequence so did you feel like if you'd had to tackle that at the beginning of the shoot would that have been like quite daunting was it did it feel like you'd built up your skills throughout the shoot and then you could take that on at the end yeah, and, and another main thing actually was that COVID was over, but it was starting to slowly ramp up again in Australia. Mm. And they were very uh, strict on those sort of things. So 
if we did that earlier on in the shoot, I feel like we could have lost uh, crew members to COVID, and then you know, which we did throughout the uh, throughout the process. Like we were starting to lose crew members, and it was sort of like Survivor a little bit with uh, uh, people that were able to come to work and able to not, and, and um, everyone was wearing their masks, and it was a bit of social distancing. Again, it wasn't in the peak of the pandemic at all. It was it was over, mm-hmm. but then there was a small potential ramp up again so it was uh that was another stressor uh, and another <laughs> that we'd shot at last but yeah there was another one taker in the film one shot that's like down a hospital corridor mm. uh that's towards the end of the film and that that was harder to get than the party sequence and that scared right. us we were so scared of doing like a, a big one shot because that was so hard to nail uh but we got there in the end <laughs> you did you did um and when it comes to the actual um possession scenes with the hand and the kids and the party and everything they're so effective and creepy and they've got a really distinct look and feel to them like even just the visual of them holding the hand and the black eyes the big black eyes i think those scenes are part of what makes the film so memorable how what went into you guys figuring out what you wanted those scenes to look like like the identifying parts of of the film if you know what i mean yeah, yeah. A very a very big part was the sound design uh, of those sequences. And uh, there's hints about how some of those spirits died with the sound design as well that we're able to do. And uh, there's reoccurring ghosts that are inside Mia for the film that we also convey with the sound. Uh, mm. So there's a lot of water and echoes and you and, and there's like a, a lot of stuff happening in, in the music as well that, that are tying different things together. Um, and, and we knew that we wanted the camera to feel a bit like astral projection and be a bit tied to the spirit. So that camera is sort of being controlled by the movements of the spirit and what they're doing in the room. So that was uh, another fun part that we were able to really beat out in our pre-production and, you know, pre-shoot all of our iPhone and really start putting that together. Um, yeah, and, and the makeup effects with our, with our Beck Barato, like finding that look was very exciting as well. And And the first person that we actually shot possessed was my sister, uh, and she was um, just in, in at the start of the film. They're looking at a possession on a phone, and that's yeah. my sister. In the, oh, in is the, it? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was when we were able to like just uh, do a, a really quick, quick scene and, and just try and find that look. So um, yeah, pre-production was so much fun on the film. It was it was amazing. Yeah, and it really ties into it because the kids are all filming stuff on their phone. So I guess you testing it out um, a bit more lo-fi really helps sort of hone that part of the film as well. Yeah, yeah. And then also even with the social media aspect, we really wanted it to come across as realistic. And uh, even before pre-production even started, like months and months before, we were fighting to get the rights of Snapchat so we could right. hide that. And um, I was hitting up the Sidemen. I'm friends with the Sidemen. So I was like hitting up KSI and all that. I'm like, oh, can I please <laughs> use one of your clips of the movie? Because uh, my, my, my neighbor's name is Riley, who the character Riley is based on. And he would always go to sleep just watching the Sidemen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we wanted to have that in the film as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, so, I mean, you mentioned Riley. I mean, him, uh, Jade, Mia, um, so, played by Sophie Wilde. This is a great young cast for most of them. I'm guessing this is kind of a breakout role and they're so great. Can you talk about the casting process and finding those guys and what helped you settle on this group? Yeah, yeah. Um, um it it was it was such a uh, a crazy task. We took two years to cast the film to find right. everyone. That was due to, to that. That's when the pandemic did hit at the start of that, so it delayed the process. But we were able to really, really search through everyone and make sure that we found the right people. And uh, once we saw those auditions for those main actors, like we knew that they were it straight away. And and it was even to the point I was that connected and in love with the people that we were casting. That Zoe, who plays Haley, 
even though they're not a main character, I mm. was not going to shoot the film unless they were available because I was, I just knew they were so perfect for the role. And um, mm. even even someone like Sophie wasn't a name, so we lost a million dollars out of the budget to uh, just by casting her because she wasn't a draw at the time. Mm. And they're like, oh, she's not a star. But we're like, but she's going to be. Like, we, like yeah. I have auditions, man. She's the greatest performer in the world. I cannot believe the, the stuff that she was sending through, we knew that she could carry the film. And, and part of the thing that I'm the most proud of for this film is to be able to present Sophie to the world. And even if the film and the directing is terrible, like her <laughs> performance isn't. And that's I do not think that's up for debate. If you watch that, you can't say she gives a bad performance. Uh, um, and to have people like Jordan Peele text me and FaceTime me and talk to me about Sophie's performance and and uh, her character, uh, that that oh man, it means so much to me. Like I think that she's going to go on to do massive things, and I'm so proud of uh, uh, helping bring her to to um, to the world. Uh, man, I, I, we love her so much. One of the things that made the film really land for me was that the, there is an emotional core running through it. Um, Mia is uh, dealing with a lot of grief and loneliness. She's lost her mom, and that ties the film together so well. Was that emotion something you were keen to have in there and balance alongside the horror, but also the comedy? Because there are laughs in this film as well. There's really funny moments. So were you keen yeah. to kind of balance all that, all of those things? Yeah, there's an amazing film called Memories of Murder by director Bong Joon-ho. And, mm -hmm. and he's really able to like merge tones pretty seamlessly. And they, they can have these really heightened comedy beats while also being super serious the minute before. So we're super inspired by the way that he was able to balance tone. So we, we weren't afraid because because uh, life is never one emotion. It's never one beat. There, there's always so much things that are happening. Like uh, even uh, I think that sort of we had in this film, I had a friend who Jade is based on whose ringtone is the crazy frog. Uh, the crazy yeah, I frog love ring. that. <laughs> and we were at a funeral and then her phone went off and that's... Oh. Down, sort of playing it. I just remember that moment. So we sort of have that in, in like a serious moment in the film as well. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, balancing tone was a really important thing to me, and uh, having those characters be really grounded and rooted, uh, and feel real and have those problems. I like I, we lost, we we have mental illness in our family, and we we had a, a suicide in the family as well. And uh, our, our grandfather was helping raise us when we were kids, and when we were thirteen, he passed away. And I know that 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 sort of rips a hole in you and as a young person, or even I think as any person, if you lose someone, uh, it's dangerous what you can fill that hole with and what you can latch onto to, to um, uh, get over that or use as a crutch to get through those emotional um, holes that you can fall into. So so um, we sort of wanted to show that, have that hand be a representation of, of uh, not only connection and a forced connection, but also vices in general. Yeah, of course. That really comes across. Um, I've seen that you and Michael have said that Talk To Me was originally being made with bigger studios, um, but they wanted to rein in some elements kind of of the film. Um, obviously, it didn't end up sort of being made that way. But could you talk about some of those elements that you really wanted to fight for and how those kind of show up in the finished film now? Yeah, yeah. So um, they were... They really wanted to go into the, their notes were talking about really exploring where the hand came from and having these specialists or these expert horror experts that will come in and be like, oh, this is where the hand came from and this is how to beat it. Like it started uh, feeling a notes a bit like that, that I was a bit scared of. And they weren't necessarily bad notes in any way. They were actually really good notes and they did help us with the script. Um, but like those notes, it felt like I was losing the creative control and 
they would have final cut in the edit and final say over the cast. So mm-hmm. if we really wanted to fight for Sophie Wilde, if the studio would, would, could just say, no, that's not happening. Whereas if you made it independently with these uh, finances, you're e- really able to say, yes, this is what we want to do. We can lose that budget. And when we did lose the budget for casting Sophie, I reinvested our fees into the film, me and Michael did. And then mm-hmm. our so Samantha Jennings reinvested her fees as well. Uh, but yeah, it was just that have control over the cast and the script. And, and to uh, also there was some hints that maybe they didn't want to shoot it in Australia and with Australian accents. And that was another thing where we were like, man, I don't know what this movie will be or I, I wouldn't know how to direct something that I'm not completely connected to. Mm. So that, that was, uh, yeah, and, and so our, our producer, Sam, really made us feel comfortable about taking a step away and deciding to do it independently. Uh, but it just meant that our eight-week shoot turned into a five-week shoot and we were just up against oh, the website. Yeah, it was so tight. Uh, but yeah. It's no time at all, is it? God, it yeah, makes it, it even was... more impressive. Um I know yeah. I'm nearly out of time. I just had one very last quick question, which is that I believe you guys are set to direct the Street Fighter film. Um, yeah. And I was just wondering if there's anything you can tell us about that and whether you loved the game as kids, is that kind of what drew you to to directing it? Yeah, yeah. We're so, so in love with uh, with, the, with the game. And uh, we'd even made a YouTube video based on the game uh, on, on Raka Raka. And uh, <laughs> it's so fun. We They flew us out to meet the people that made Street Fighter Six. So I met with them and I played the game with them. And then in this Capcom office, who who are like the uh, U- U.S. distributor of um of the games, they mm-hmm. had all these awesome statues around the room of all the Street Fighter characters, like the coolest like life size <laughs> heads of Akuma and like all these awesome Ryu statues. And I, I was able to say like text them, and I'm like, ah, to really help me get into the mindset of the the <laughs> film. I'm going to need you to send me all these uh, statues. Yeah, it's <laughs> part of my creative process. It's I'm part of my need creative that. process. Yeah, and I, I was able to <laughs> like and like really step. I'm like, no, this is really going to help me write. Even though I'm not really writing the film, I'm not even attached to write. They are. They are. They're sending me all those statues. Amazing. <laughs> I respect that. Because so cool. <laughs> like, yeah, so in love with the game, and even like to really dig into the roots of Street Fighter. Like Michael, I uh, traveled around Thailand and tracked down a guy named Sagat, who's based on. The, the character in the game Sagat Street Fighter is based on a real person who like fights in Thailand. So Michael traveled around all these fighting gyms in Thailand and tracked him down. Oh was able to find uh uh places in the world that the like the levels are actually based on as well. So so we've been really digging into the roots of Street Fighter. Um and, and doing a lot of research, aka playing a lot of Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a bad way to spend the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're so excited to uh to to have like a big Hollywood budget to do pull off really crazy, never before seen set pieces. Like even with our Raka Raka stuff, we were designing rigs that had never been made before. Uh, uh so to be able to do that on this sort of scale, man, I'm so so excited. I cannot wait. Oh wow. Well, I'm so excited now. We're all so excited, especially after seeing Talk to Me because it's incredible. Um, I think that's my time. But Danny, thank you so much for talking to me. Best of luck with the film. I can't wait for everyone else to see it as well. Awesome. It was nice to meet you. Thank you for talking to me. Sophie, you've uh, you've talked to a lot of people about Talk to Me. Are you going to talk to me about Talk to Me? Are you oh, talking boy. to me about Talk to Me? I am talking to you okay. about Talk to Me. Okay. Um, yes, this is, as we said, um, the debut feature from Michael and Danny Philippou. And it stars Sophie Wilde as Mia, um, a girl, a young girl in South Australia, I believe, who has lost her mum. She's mostly living um, at her friend's house with her friend Jade and her brother, younger brother, Riley, who she's also close with. And their mum, who's excellently played by Miranda Otto. Yeah. 
um, real star of the show. She got a lot of laughs in uh, my screening. Um, and essentially, there's a craze going around the young'uns, um, which is they've come across this kind of embalmed hand. Ceramic on the, the outside, yeah. Yeah, um, which is all sort of scrawled on. It's, re- it's designed really well. It looks really creepy. And um, one of the one of the gangs got this, and basically there's a... a it's going viral on social media in the area. They're recording each other, shaking this hand, saying, talk to me, and communicating with spirits from the other side. Um, Mia has a go and sort of gets a big kick out of it, as the other kids do, um, and also ends up kind of making contact with her mum, and that kind of really sort of makes her quite obsessed with it. And it sort of all spirals from there. As you can imagine, this doesn't doesn't really end well. It's not just a shake your hand and a goodbye to mm-hmm. the... Uh, to the dead spirits um and this is really excellent i had a great time with it the concept itself is so good and clean and understandable and really riveting and the direction from the philippines i think is great they sort of rose to prominence which i've probably talked about in the interview with them through youtube (laughs) (laughs) we'll find out um it's fun isn't it doing this yeah through their youtube their raka raka on youtube and they've got some wild videos that they've they've been making films their whole life basically since they were kids and um, these crazy videos where they're dressed as Ronald McDonald and they're doing stunts and they're beating each other up and all sorts and they've got all this energy which they bring to talk to me a lot it has a lot of energy to it but it's also really disciplined I think Mm -hmm. in its big horror sequences and it has a really emotional undercurrent that I don't think it, it, it's meant to be there, but I, I felt genuinely emotional at points uh, yeah. um, in the film because Mia has just this sense of loneliness at times that I think really gets to you. Um, it goes to a lot of unexpected places. It's done really well and I had a really great time with it. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, Helen. no, it's very, very, very similar indeed. I, th- I feel like it's an interesting film because it it feels very sort of claustrophobic mm. almost and... Um, and closed in most of the outdoor scenes, and there are not very many, are at night. Yes. Um, in fact, most of the film seems to take place at night. So, you know, any kind of like sunshiny idea you have of Australia is kind of irrelevant to this. And, and it kind of has that sort of creepiness and that idea that the, the darkness and the scary thing is very close to you at all mm. times. And that works really really well and and it does feel you know like any horror film you're going well you're all idiots what are you doing you know get out of there don't run upstairs whatever it is <laughs> call the police whatever it is yeah. you know you're usually sitting there going oh you're all being so ridiculous and they absolutely are in this case but they're also being ridiculous kind of because of peer pressure because it's a laugh yeah because clearly something about this feels good mm. because it's funny because it's crazy because it's scary you know so it sort of has an element of believability and plausibility it really sells that they're having a great time with yeah. it it's a really good montage kind of in the sort of middle section of them experimenting and all having a go and you kind of show it going wrong but there's enough like fun there that it just you can kind of understand and you know they they're teenagers and they're sitting mm-hmm. around and they're bored and some of them are sad and <laughs> and you don't always make the best decisions yeah. you know and it's sort of so so that I thought worked really well um John in his review compared it to flatliners yeah which I think is is pretty smart like it has an element of that sort of playing with danger but in a way you think is safe in a way you think is controlled mm. in a way you think you have control of and and then maybe 
what if you're wrong? Mm. So, um, so yeah, I thought it was really well done and it is really scary. I mean, obviously, as previously discussed many times, I am a wimp. I am very clear on that. But at the same time, this was properly scary and it had some sudden scares and it had some really slow building creep scares. And it just mixed up those kind of moments of sudden shock and creeping Ooh. tension, I thought, really effectively. They're very good filmmakers based on this evidence. Really, very much so. And I kind of can sound like a negative, but I felt like it was scary, but in a way that it kind of played within its own rules in a way, like you kind of know what to expect. It does surprise you at times, but it's not sort of putting in jump scares for shock value. Yeah, it's or not cheating it's the scares. Not, yeah, because that's what I really don't like in horror films. And it doesn't do that. It just kind of really takes you by the hand and leads you to these places. And the, the sense of place is great. Like the soundtrack, um, there's a lot of Aussie music from what I can tell. You really feel like you're in that place. Yeah. And it's very modern and it's very of this time. Um, it just has a really great energy to it. It's really, really good. Okay, well, I tell you what, I am really, really excited to see it. it sounds terrific. I love a big horror film. I, I love a big horror film that is suggested by one of the minds behind Bluey as well. <laughs> so so uh, fair dinkum. Uh, I'm in for that. Four stars then for Talk To Me. Yeah. Now, we should say that the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Mutant Mayhem. Mutant mm, Mayhem. Yeah is out on... Monday. Is it Monday or... Monday. Monday, Monday 31st. Yeah. What's yeah. this new thing about it's, Monday? It, I think it's school holidays in this case. School um, yeah. holidays. Yeah. All right, so that's out. We won't be reviewing that until next week properly, I guess. But have you guys seen it? I have, and it is so much fun. It's animated in a sort of scribbly, you know, hand-drawn... Spider-versey. Spider-versey kind of style. It has some of that Spider-versey energy. It has four pretty much unknowns as the turtles themselves, but like basically teenagers who they put in a room together to record. So you get all the making oh, fun nice. of each other and the kind of energy of like four brothers, like, you know, nudging each other in the ribs mm. and, and laughing at each other. I had the best time. It's really funny. It has one of the, you know, just some of the greatest jokes of the year um, and so much pace and so much energy and so much silliness. And I just loved it. It's one of the best animated films in a year that has had some great animated films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen this one yet. Oh, sounds excited. good. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm all for it. So, yes, Sophie hasn't seen it yet. No. Uh, I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen anything, to be quite frank. Uh, but we gave this one probably four. I think probably four. Uh, probably yes, four. we did give we it did. a four. Okay. Yeah. We, we have given it four. Gorgeous. It's a gorgeous film. Gorgeous. It's a gorgeous, 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 gorgeous film. Beautiful film. No. Um, also, out is a documentary called My Name is Albert Hitchcock uh, by Mark Cousins, the increasingly prolific Mark Cousins, former movie drum host, of course, turned filmmaker. Uh, haven't seen this one myself. I, I, th- I believe it's about Alfred Hitchcock, but uh, we yes. gave it four stars and it's certainly something I'm going to check out uh, at my earliest convenience. Um, but, you know, big Hitchcock fan, big Mark Cousins fan, put those two together. Absolutely. I'm hoping to watch it tonight, in fact, but um, I'm yeah, really excited to see it. So I want to let you guys know about that one. But the final film we're going to talk about in some detail this week is on Apple TV Plus this week. And it is the Beanie Bubble. The Beanie Bubble. Hell's Bells. Yeah. So this comes from directors Kristen Gore and Damien Kulash. And it is another one of these kind of corporate biopics. Mm. You know, we've had Air quite recently. It's We've had Flaming Hot. Um, there's this, you know, Ferrari coming up, all these kind of things. Blackberry. Yeah, Blackberry. That's, that's a thing that's happening. Tetris, of course. Um, 
And this one is the story of Beanie Babies and the crazy speculative bubble that genuinely happened around Beanie Babies in the, la- in the late 90s, where people were buying these small stuffed toys and selling them for hundreds and even thousands of dollars. Yeah. And it became a sort of business for people in the early days of eBay. In fact, it kind of made eBay mm-hmm. uh, to, to trade these limited edition cuddly toys. And this is the story of Ty Warner, who founded the Ty Koi Company, who founded the Ty Toy Company that, that um, sold Beanie Babies, who's played by Zach Galifianakis. But it's also the story of three women who played a key role in, in creating and, and popularizing these toys. So there's Robbie, who's played by Elizabeth Banks, who was his partner in the earliest days with the company. There is Sheila, paid, played by Sarah Snook, no less, from Succession, who um, is his girlfriend and whose daughters actually play a role in sort of, you know, creating and, and consulting on some of the toys early on. And then also Maya, played by Geraldine uh, Viswanathan from Blockers who is the sort of the company's, she starts off as a kind of, you know, almost part-time job while she's studying medicine, uh, but ends up, you know, developing the company's website and becoming a key part of their business strategy and certainly their online strategy in popularizing uh, Thai, I guess, and the Beanie Babies in, in total. So it's, it's really a story of the relationships that he has with these three women and the roles that they played and not just his role in designing toys because he is basically portrayed as a guy who has a good sense of toys mm. and a guy who can recognize a good idea when he hears one and also a bit of a schmuck. Um, and really. really misguided in some of his ideas for expanding the business yeah. and communicating with people. I mean, it's, it is a wild story and a really fascinating one. Geraldine's character, Maya, is based on a real employee called Lena Trevedi who... You see in the film, like she really pioneers use of a website and eBay and market and demand and um, building community. Um, She's the one that came up with the poems on the cards of the Beanie Babies. Um, She's a real like pioneer in e-commerce and he treated her just real bad. Well, just really undervalued her. Yeah. Yeah. And indeed, you know, the others as well make significant contributions. So it's kind of a uh, you know, we were talking about the patriarchy last week on Barbie. Once again, we're back in the patriarchy. I'm back there with more um, pink. More pink again. Yeah, Any pink in this film? A lot of pink. Any um, horses? Any any trucks? Uh, there is a truck that crashes that's full of Beanie Babies. That's true. And they some spill of the, out across the motorway. Some of the Beanie Babies were probably horse-shaped. It became a, yep. a bit hard. It was all a blur of like, fl- you know, plush <laughs> at one point. So you kind of lost it. Um, but I yeah, I was interested through I, I I kind of, you know, I knew obviously the, the broad outline of the fact that these were a fad and then they crashed spectacularly um, and literally in that truck metaphor. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I didn't know, you know, some of the ins and outs behind this. And uh, and I thought it, it did quite a good job of sort of telling that story. So, yeah, I, I had a good time. I mean, it's, it's not going to change the world and, and it doesn't feel maybe sort of essential as a film but but mm. it's an interesting little you know episode of history and an interesting look at how people get uh, get ahead how they get undermined how their contributions mm. can be you know very very important or very very overlooked and uh, you know it was kind of an interesting kind of nuanced take in that respect um so yeah I, I had a good choice really interesting performance as well you would not you know it might take you a minute or two to recognize Zach Galifianakis in this he is not yeah, it's yeah, yeah. not leaning into any of his usual kind of, you know, energy or tricks at all. That's good. It's been a while. 
really since we feels we've like seen it. Him. Yeah, it feels really does. He must have deliberately stepped back. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So if you were to Barbenheimer Lewis, what would you call it? Uh, talk to me and Beanie Bubble. Talk, talk to, to Bubble. Be- talk, talk to, to Beanies. <laughs> yeah. Beanie, Beanie me. Beanie yeah. me. No, that doesn't sound Doesn't right. work, no. does it? It's just this wonderful confluence of, of offence, wasn't it? It was lightning in a bottle, Barbenheimer. You can't bubble? force it. No, it doesn't work. No, you can't. Sorry. You can't. Talk to, to be. Cravens of the flower. It doesn't Mind work. Mind you, if you bring in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, then you've got like Beanie Mayhem, which works pretty well. Beanie Mayhem, yeah. You know, yeah. So talk to Mayhem. Talk to Mayhem. There we go. Talk to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Talk to turtles, beanie mayhem, boom. Teenage mayhem, mutant Colon. bubble. Talk teenage to, bubble. Talk to teenage mutant. Talk to, talk to teenage barbin, mutant heimers. Talk to beanage, <laughs> mutant ninja turtles. All right. Three stars then for <laughs> the beanie we've bubble. Broken down. It's on Apple TV Plus. And on that note, that is it, I think, for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week, but not Helen. Helen's no. away gallivanting. Uh, she's gone to a shillelagh festival in wow. in back home, which wow. is which is nice. Uh, so join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by well, unless the strike is struck, no actors or writers, and we stand behind you. We do, mm-hmm. and then push you closer to the mic, and then asking questions about your upcoming projects. And you go, oh, we can't do that. They can't do that. And rightly so. Right. And we we accept and we respect your decision. Okay. So do we have any directors coming in? Yes. Okay, cool. I don't know who they are. Cool. (laughs) No, that's not true. Jeff Rowe, who is the director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Bubble. Yay. Uh, Mutant Mutant Talk to Me. Uh, Beanie Babies. Yes, which is very, very exciting. And uh, next week is the release of Ben Wheatley's The Meg 2. Ben Wheatley's The Trench, which uh, in which Ben Wheatley's Jason Statham takes on Ben Wheatley's Giant Shark. And, Cannot wait. Uh, Krill List, Down Terrapin, wow. um, Drown Terrace. Uh, A flounder in England. White, white bait Sears. It's all there. It's all there. The clues were there in his filmography all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Ben Wheatley's first thing. We may be getting Ben Wheatley. We're doing a VIP event and I haven't figured out if the Q&A after that, which is going to be for the podcast, is a regular chat or a spoiler special Ooh. chat. So we'll see. So maybe Ben Wheatley, definitely Jeff Rowe, and maybe even Adele Lim, who's the director of Joyride, which opens next Ooh, week as well. So, so good oh, is that out next week? Is that yeah. next week? Yeah. Bang in. I'm not here, but it. spoilers. We've yeah. seen it yet. Come on in, Sophie. Come on in. Replace Helen. Well, I will if I can see the film. Permanently wow. fight, fight. Wow. Come on, do it. Do Patriarchy's it. at it again. Patriarch- I'm talking into a pink microphone cover. All right. What more do you want? What, yeah, what, what do you people want from me? You people. What do you mean, you people? Okay, on that note. <laughs> on that note. As far as you listen, Okay. Uh, that is definitely it. Uh, it's goodbye from Sophie. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to book two more tickets for Barbenheimer, but this time, the other way around. That's right. It's Heimer, Barbie. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. I don't know. 